Welcome back, Bible readers. This is uh, the Rooted Podcast, and I believe we are in week 20-something. We're getting close to about halfway through the year in June for our Bible reading. Um, this week is week number two of our study through the book of Joshua, and last week we began studying through Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, up to about chapter 7. We'll talk about chapter 7 a little bit today and, and continue on uh, the rest of through chapter 10, I think, 7 mm -hmm. to 10 uh, for today. Um, so that was last week, so that's this week, and then next week we'll finish up the rest of Joshua. We're not going to talk about all of it. Um, there's a lot of information in Joshua about land divisions and different things like that, things that we'll bypass over um, yeah. on the third week, which will be next week. Um, again, keep your rooted magazines, or excuse me, keep your Connect magazines handy. They've got the bookmark in there for you for the Bible reading. If you're just joining us for the first time and have never um, been a part of our Bible reading program, you can go to lmbc.org slash rooted. It has all the information there. You can start it now if you want to and go back and go through all the podcasts and do the reading each day at whatever pace you choose to do it at. Um, you can do it that way um, as well. So, this week we're going to start, uh, get about in the middle section of Joshua here, Joshua chapter 7 um, through chapter 10. And last time we left off with Joshua 7 talking about Achan and the sin that was committed and the army of, um, or the Israelite army went up against the uh, little little city of Ai and they were defeated and Joshua comes back and he's frustrated and upset and he tears his clothes and says, why? I thought, Lord, you said you'd be mm -hmm. with us. You promised, Lord. It sounds like a little kid, right? You yeah. promised, you promised. And and um, God says, it's not your fault. Somebody, there's sin in the camp, I think is what the actual term that we say. Yeah. And uh, so they take the time to go through, at least Joshua does, through the um, casting of lots to figure out who it is and figure out that it's Achan, and he's the one that's committed this, he and his whole family. And, of course, he and his whole family are punished for it. No doubt they probably knew about it. Again, you can't hide some of those treasures without the rest of your family knowing about it. That's kind of where we start today from uh, uh, in Chapter 7. And I, and I wanted to show you um, um, in my translation in Chapter 7, as we start, I was looking at um, what exactly Achan stole, uh, the materials, and my translation NLT says, says, among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon. I'm reading verse 21 of chapter 7. It says, 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. So 200 silver coins would be kind of hard to hide, wouldn't you think kind so? Kind of tough to carry, too. <laughs> and, a, and a bar of gold. I wonder how much a bar of, oh, it says weighing more than a pound. Um, it says, so I... Um, my translation says, I wanted them so much, it says, that I took, next page, I took them, mm -hmm. and they're hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver buried deeper than the rest. And I thought that was really interesting mm -hmm. yeah. how mine says, with the silver buried deeper than the rest. It's almost like the silver may have been more valuable or maybe it just um, went down. I don't know if there's any, I was thinking about that today, and I don't know if there's any reason why, or maybe it's just this translation. Uh, that does that. What is what translation are you reading from? I'm using the CSB. And, what does uh, it say? Verse it, it talks 21. Of, yeah, verse 21. It uh, it said, "You can see for yourself that they are concealed in the ground inside the tent with silver under the cloak." Okay, so just under it's, the cloak. Okay, yeah, so, so maybe the NLT is making it a little more nefarious. You know, way deep down. You know, mm -hmm. kind of adding to the drama of the story. Maybe so, but needless to say, mm -hmm. it would make sense, right? Because if you're burying stuff. 
you know, you, you want to put that at the bottom, then cover it cover maybe it. with the, with the yeah, blanket. The cloak, yeah, or something. something like that. But Absolutely. anyway, um, so we talked a little bit about that mm-hmm. last week. Do you have anything to add mm-hmm. about Aiken, Bill, about well, I, his sin? I thought it was kind anything? of interesting in last week's reading uh, in Chapter 7 uh, that Joshua, he didn't understand why they right. lost the battle because he knew that God was with them. Right. And he trusted God, and he's been a, he was a great leader. Yeah, oh, I mean, definitely. He, I mean, he really had a difficult job leading these people. <laughs> but the Israelites were on board, you know. They they were following him, and they trusted him. And, uh, yeah, and then they after lost, Jericho. Yeah, I mean, all after, those crazy instructions. <laughs> then they, well, this was the new generation. This was the generation True. that was labeled to come across uh, into the land of flowing with milk and honey. Right, so they, right. all the older ones had passed away. They had their covenant with Moses, and mm-hmm. they followed Moses. Now these are following Joshua, and they were faithful to him. They were they were really following him. But then they lose this battle, and I thought it was interesting because uh, Joshua didn't know why, but he goes to the Lord, you know, and he says, you know, why did you even bring us over here? <laughs> You know, it would have been better for us just to be content and stay on the other side of Jordan. And, and uh, goes to the extreme. He goes to the yeah, extreme. And he? I thought, you know, isn't that just like us? Yeah. You know, we're so called nice. to do a ministry or something, and, and maybe we stumble in it and we fall. And we, God, why did you even ask me to do this? You know, yeah. but one of the things that really caught my attention was there in, uh, uh, in chapter seven, and it was uh, in verse. Well, let's see what it is, verse 8, even at the end of that, or verse 9. At the end of verse 9, he says, um, Joshua even asked God, he says, uh, we're going to look silly now in front of all of the Canaanites. And he said, they're going to think that we're just nothing but failures, and they're going to come after us. They're going to destroy us. And he said, then what will you do about your great name? (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, well, you know, that was kind of a silly question, though. God... God doesn't have to depend on us or anything for his great name. He can take care of it himself. And I kind of get the sense that Joshua was a little bit embarrassed. Mm -hmm. We lost a battle. Oh, yeah. I'm the leader. I'm a bit frustrated and embarrassed here. And so I thought back on God, what are you going to do? Because, you know, how are you going to defend your great name? Well, Joshua's thinking, how am I going to defend my name? (laughs) And, uh, And, 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 And then he finds out why. They lost. Right. Yeah, he said. God says, "Not my fault. You people sinned." <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it's interesting that he says Israel has sinned, but not all the Israelites had sinned, but because of one sin from yeah. one person. And I thought about our churches today, and how that sometimes our churches fall because of the sin of just one or two or a few, mm. even in our churches. And that's the reason I love it at our starting point whenever pastor emphasizes we protect the unity of our church absolutely 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 yeah and you know i look at joshua too and and you know i would be embarrassed too if you know i'm a new leader and this is already starting to happen on my watch you know i mean he's following in the shadows of moses i mean that's hard to follow i don't know of anybody that could have done it any better than Joshua, Joshua no, he's, but you think about that, and he's like, "Lord, you promised, and you know, I'm the new leader here. They're not going to follow me if, if, if you know what you're telling me is not going to happen. You know, how's this going to help me lead the people?" So I think the questions are reasonable, but yet at the same time, 
he's um well he's human yeah he's human he's still human yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well needless to say after they um found out that it was Aiken and his family um they actually um kind of uh, very I don't want to say dramatic, but it seems like they took drastic actions. But you know what? When there is sin, you need to get rid of it. You need to cut it down by the root. My translation says, says, Then Joshua said to Achan, Why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will now bring trouble on you. Wow, what ominous yeah. words. Mm-hmm. And then all of Israelites stoned Achan and his family and burned their bodies. Wow. Yeah. And they piled a great heap of stones over Achan which remains to this day. That is why the place has been called the Valley of Trouble ever since. So the Lord was no longer angry. You know, you got to deal with the sin and take care of it. I mean, that's, you know, the book of Leviticus was a whole way of how we are to approach God, how the Israelite could actually come into the presence of God. And when sin is there, sometimes you have to take drastic measures. And sometimes you just have to cut it off, get rid of it. Because if you don't get rid of it, you know what? The whole body can suffer. And in this case, uh, there were... How many were lost the first time in, in AI? 30, 36. 36 lives 36 were lost, lost because of this guy's, this one man's sin. Man so, you know, you say, well, my sin doing, you know, I may be having struggle with a sin um, and it's just me, you know, it's not affecting anybody else. No, no, mm-hmm. it, it, it's very possible. It could be affecting mm-hmm. other people. Jo- or Aiken's sin affected 36 Israelites who had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Uh, very That's innocent. So your sin does affect others. Well, um, you know, and I, I've always said that Every decision we make affects the people around us. Yes. We think that that decision only affects ourselves, right. but it doesn't. It affects everybody. It, everybody that you're connected to, it affects their lives. And, yeah, I liked it where it said that and Joshua called all of Israel with him and took Achan down. Mm. All of Israel went with him. I so know. they backed Joshua, Yeah. their leader. Yeah. And I think that's the reason we call for discipline in our churches today, that whenever we see sin that is in the church, we have to take action on it uh, so that it doesn't you know, reflect on the whole church yeah. and on the whole body. And, and lest it be missed, um, we don't want to miss the fact that at the end, uh, the, the instructions were to get rid of completely of Jericho everything. Mm-hmm. From the very beginning, God gave instructions, so Achan knew those instructions, and he just deliberately disobeyed those instructions. And so there were consequences for it. It's not like, you know, all of a sudden, oh, Achan, what are you doing stealing Babylonian? Because we'd call that plunder or loot, you know, yeah. from the other. But God had said you were to get rid of everything. Don't get rid of nothing. It reminds me of the, was it Saul? Uh, in Samuel, in, in mm-hmm. Kings or Samuel, First Samuel or something, yep. where Saul didn't do what all of God said, and, and Samuel comes up and says, why didn't you do everything? You're supposed to get rid of everybody, including the king. Well, I saved the king for you, and he comes and hacks the king. Oh, yeah, cuts him into pieces. <laughs> cuts him into pieces. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, yeah. when we're talking about obedience, um, it has to be complete right away. And so God gave it ahead of time, told them exactly what to do, and they failed to do it. I think we have to remember... Sin is serious. Yeah, it is serious business, and not just back in this day that we're looking at in, in the Bible, but in our day, sin is serious, folks. Yeah, it really is. Well, after they took care of this sin, um, they go up, de- up against AI a second time, and this time they come through victorious and uh, don't have any issues or any problems. Um, they win the battle, win it decisively, easily, obviously because the sin is taken care of. And then after that, at the end of chapter 8, you have this um, time where they're supposed to um, 
I want to say, reaffirm the covenant. Mm-hmm. Now, this was supposed to, it's supposed to happen. Deuteronomy 26 or 27, I think, tells us that they were supposed to do this once they get into the land to reaffirm the covenant. And reaffirming the covenant, I think, has the idea of going back over it, helping remind the people what it was, what it is. And so you have this picture here in chapter 8, verse 30, mm-hmm. where you've got two, uh, I think it's two different stones yeah. built. One has like this big stone, almost like, I'm thinking like a big chalkboard almost kind of thing. Yeah. A big stone with a washed face and the laws on there, written on there, so they can all Josh, look at it and see what it says. Yeah. And then they also build an altar uh, for sacrifice. Yeah. Um, and so it was just to remind them um, about the importance of the, what the law played in their lives, also remind them about what God had done with them. Um, I feel like they're making a lot of a lot of stones are yeah. introduced, like the stones yeah. in the river, the stones to kill Achan, the stones for the altar. And the I mean, stones I'm, that covered the covered the, the bodies. Achans yeah, and all I feel like well, I mean that's what's available to be used, yeah. right? I guess Achan. it's easier to do that than dirt, <laughs> the dirt. But um, here they review the law and just kind of help remind them. You know, remember what Moses said: if we get into land and we do this, then God will bless us. If we don't do it, God's not going to bless us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's a good visual reminder, I think, um, about that. And but the particular thing um, to me that that that's important here is is where they do it because they do it at this place called Shechem, and Shechem is important. Uh, that's where the structure for the burnt offering was. This was the first place that God told Abraham mm-hmm. that He would give him the land of land Canaan in Shechem, and that's actually where the tabernacle. Did the tabernacle stay at Shechem for a while until David made the temple? Or is that Gilgal? I think it might be a different place. Uh, I think it was. I think it might have been Gilgal. Yeah, I yeah. Think it, I think it, and this is where they all return after he goes through this campaign. Right, right. Uh, they come back to Gilgal. Gilgal. Yeah. Well, anyway, Shechem is the place here, and Shechem was significant because, again, God had promised Abraham, "I'm going to give this, this land, land to you," and promised it right here. So, what a fitting location to reaffirm the covenant yeah. that, that that God made not only with Abraham uh, but also with Moses as well. Um, at the end of chapter 8. Um, mm-hmm. So after chapter 8, we enter into a, a new narrative, the Gibeonites. Yeah. And so the other um, countries were trying a strategy of trying to defeat Israel. The Gibeonites tried a different strategy. Yeah. They try to be deceptive. And if you read through chapter 9, it's interesting uh, what's going on, is they attempt to defeat Israel kind of, um, by deceptively, by kind of, uh, I want to say like covert operations or clandestine yeah. operation here. They come in disguised as these people that are living from a far off land. And the instructions were clear. God said to Joshua, listen, don't make any treaties with people close or yep. inside the land. I think it really was just close. But you can make treaties with people that are from yes. distant lands. Yeah. It makes sense, right? Because right. they're from distant lands. You don't have to worry about them coming in and taking territory and being a problem. And but the Gibeonites, they dressed up. They made their clothes look really old oh. and bad. The wineskins and their and things that they and were the bread. Using. Yeah, the, the bread, bread moly bread. And but what's interesting in this chapter is that Joshua automatically makes a treaty with them. He doesn't even consult God for any kind of instruction no. or help. Well, and I thought I, think I had was, read in here too that it was some of the heads. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, that yeah. Made yeah. that treaty with. I don't think I don't know where Joshua was even present when they they did that. Yeah, I'm trying to think if uh, yeah, because it says it says uh, 
Um, they sent ambassadors to Joshua, verse 4 of chapter 9, loading their donkeys with saddlebags, oil, patched wines, uh, wineskins. They put on worn-out patched sandals. So it went to Joshua, and they told Joshua and the men of Israel, we have come from a distant land to ask you to make peace and a treaty with us. Mm. And the Israelites responded to these, don't you live nearby? They says, no. And they were trying to, again, use some strategy. Um, and so three days after making the treaty, mm. it's... It's what happens. But what it says is um, is why I say that about Joshua is verse 14. So the Israelites examined their food, but they did not consult the Lord. So yeah, yeah it was corporate not. selection. Yep. Yeah. Then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety. That's and true. the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath. oath right. So both were responsible. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And of course, three days after making the treaty, they learned these people actually live nearby. And can you imagine after that? Three days later, yeah. like, uh, can we uh, can we cancel that contract? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, but you what? know, I, I look at this too, and I, I'm not so sure that Gibeonites were totally trying to defeat Israel, but I think they realized they're going to kill us. Yeah, they really they have the power to destroy us, and and all they were trying to do is save their lives. Yeah, and they did, and what had happened? They yeah. become slaves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they become but, enslaved and become. Yeah. Water. Actually, they actually, um, I think, did I write down? Um, let's see. Um, mm. I think later on we learn that the Gibeonites, I thought I wrote it down. Maybe it's the end of chapter 9. I think it is, verse 26. Mm -hmm. So Joshua did not allow the people of Israel to kill them, the Gibeonites. But that day he made the Gibeonites the woodcutters wood and water carriers for the community of Israel and for the altar of the Lord. Mm -hmm. So wherever the Lord would choose to build it, and that is what they do to this day. So, you know, they got a job to do as slaves. I mean, it wasn't a bad, I mean, I think it was it was a, a, a decent job. I mean, yeah, you're right. carrying, yeah, you're carrying water, which is heavy, wood stuff for the altar of the Lord. That's, like, that's a big deal. It's not just a, a menial task. Um, but needless to say, yeah, you're right. I think that their different strategy was try to preserve their life. Yeah. Um, would we rather die or would we rather just spend our life serving, uh, you know, the Israelites who we know will win all the battles? Uh, they, you know, and we might reverse look at it and say, well, they must have had real faith in the Israelite being the ones that were going to conquer the land. They must have put their money and said, this yeah. is what we got to do. Well, and I think they saw God was with them and there was no way. And I, they may have not known that they were going to be put into servitude. No, I don't think they, <laughs> I don't think they realized that, but. But I think they were faithful. Or they were thankful. Yeah. That their lives were spared. Yeah. And we see what happened after this with all the other kings who came together to go against Israel. Well, uh, and even they came down against uh, the Gibeonites. They come down to Gibeon. They were yep. going to kill them because yep. they made this treaty. Yep. And that was the reason. Then Joshua had to say, "Okay, they're they're threatening Gibeon. Now we gotta we gotta go arms. pull him out of trouble." Overnight march, um, mm -hmm. and that's into chapter ten, where you have this this five alliance, five kings, king alliance uh, here in the uh, chapter ten is is the southern campaign. So remember last week we talked about Joshua did the divide and conquer. So you go into the land and cut off everything. Now in chapter ten, he's going to the south. Then the other chapters, he goes back north to finish up kind of thing. So he cuts off things first and goes south. And that's where this battle um, uh, takes place, this five-king alliance. Again, they don't like the fact that Gibeon has made a treaty with Israel. They don't really, I don't know if they know the consequences that Gibeah, 
receive. They just know that they made the treaty and we don't like that. And we're going to go after. So they go after, not after Israel, but they go after Gibeah. And of course, as a result, Israel has to keep faith with her treaty and her promise. Um, and the, uh, well, the one thing that was uh, interesting, I noticed once one little comment in chapter 10 where it says, and I didn't notice it before, it says, I think it's in verse 2 at the end, it says, and the Gibeonite men were strong warriors. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And I saw that as well. I was like, well, maybe they didn't make a really bad decision making them into servants, you know, strong yeah. warriors helping with um, the Israelites. Uh, maybe so, but um, I just noticed a few of those things. Every once in a while you get one or two of those little oh, things and, and you're like, I wonder what that is about. But of course, as this results, Joshua and the Israelites overnight go and they have to uh, defeat this five king army and, and that's where um, uh, God provides some supernatural help. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hailstones, um, the sun standing still. And I think it says that God killed more with the hailstones than the yeah, Israelites yeah. actually killed. So it was actually that's God that was fighting for them. So it's kind of, you know, it, it's, it's, it's turned on its tables. I mean, before in chapter 7, Joshua was whining, God's not helping us. Yeah. He's not here. And now in chapter 10, God's doing all the work. Yeah. <laughs> it's completely yeah. changed. Um, and so these guys come and, and, and Israel defeats them, the sun with the lengthening of the day. Um, and, of course, Joshua finds that there are the five kings are fleeing away yeah. and he goes and grabs them publicly executes them no they tried um, to hide in a cave yeah yeah and, and then when they found out there's in the cave Joshua said go go seal up the cave so they can't get out yeah, and yeah. then they went on back and finished the battle and then they came back and yeah I know it's, it's kind of, of interesting yeah, it's how uh <laughs> no such thing I guess back then going down with a ship you know being a king that stays yeah. in battle yeah. I guess you gotta fend for your own life <laughs> Um, but yeah, and he puts them, he impales them, puts them on stakes yeah, and, uh, puts them up and takes them down at sundown. And so obviously, um, the battle here, you know, that God enabled, uh, Joshua and the Israelites to win. I mean, he was the one that was doing most of the work. God yeah. was Joshua. Yeah. Or, I mean, the army was following his instructions, but you know, God destroying more with hailstones mm-hmm. than, than anything else. And, and, uh, I think it's just interesting how it all happens. And then, at the very last, just to help you understand your reading, at the last part of the chapter, which is verses of chapter ten, which is verses twenty-eight down through thirty-nine, listing seven other victories that follow this five-king alliance victory. Mm-hmm. So after this, there are about seven more that happens, and then verses forty to forty-three is kind of a summary of the conquest of the southern campaign. That's kind of describing how it is, you know. And, and as have yeah. I. As I've read through the book of Joshua before and even this time, um, I feel like that we're just getting the main parts of the conquest, like the highlights. highlights. We're not getting every single little detail um, because I feel like there's only a few of these stories that are pulled out for us. You know, like Jericho and and this battle. Some of the other ones aren't drawn out into longer narratives. They just say it happened and it happened. which sometimes yeah. is, is good, and sometimes you may wonder, well, what was going on there? Well, we we find at the end of chapter 10 what was going on, <laughs> and it was the fact that they left no survivors. <laughs> so there was no survivors with all their kings, leaving no survivors. He completely destroyed every living being as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded so that brings out a question that I've often been asked before, yeah. 
about the morality, and I guess we'll end with this, the morality of the conquest. Like, was it moral? And God is a moral monster, just having the Israelites kill everybody. So I've got a few things that I wrote down, a few reasons. I was going to do this last week, but I figured this week at the end mm. of this chapter, when it talks about that, appropriate time. was appropriate time. So let me just make a few observations about the conquest in general. Um, and keep in mind, um, we're talking about what people today, when they look at it, they, they, they perceive this as an unnecessary killing of people. That's kind of how they're perceiving it. Like, why is God doing this? First, it has to be noted that destruction of the Canaanite cities was based on religious considerations, not political ones or not military ones. And so you can look back in Deuteronomy 7, 12, and 20 about those things. There was a reason for it. And it was a religious consideration. Uh, God had instructions because God knows. God knows what's going to happen. We should listen. Secondly, the action taken at Jericho and Ai was done on the basis of God's divine command. And thus that involves the character of God. You know, at Jericho, Ai, you know, burn everything completely. Uh, and that's the basis of God's divine command. If we believe that God is holy and without imperfection, it follows that whatever he commands is going to be just and it's going to be right. Third, it was really Jehovah or God who was destroying these cities and their peoples. Example, we just saw that. Mm -hmm. um, Israel was merely regarded as God's instruments of destruction. Okay? They were the ones carrying out the plan of what God wanted. Fourth, the reason for this command, it's clearly stated in Scripture, this demand was designed to preserve the religious purity of the nation of Israel. So the destruction of various cities should be regarded as a direct judgment from God because of their iniquity. Now, the Lord brought judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah because of their iniquity, iniquity. and he carried it out. Actually, it was two angels that came with mm -hmm. him and carried it out, okay? They were the ones that carried it out, those angels. So in this same way, Israel's the one that's carrying out God's commands as well. So we can't say that, oh, you know, God was a moral monster. No, he's already taken care Just of Sodom and Gomorrah. Taken. Do we ever question the morality of Sodom and Gomorrah? Never. <laughs> because we see what's happening. Yep. And maybe we don't we question the morality of some of these things in Joshua because maybe we don't have the details of what exactly was going on, like the nitty-gritty, like Solomon and Gomorrah did, where we read through it and we become away disgusted because of what was actually happening. Right. And we say, well, that makes yeah. it righteous. Well, if you study into the Canaanite religion and some of the religion that was going on here throughout the rest of the Old Testament, there's a reason why God did it. And then fifthly and lastly... Um, the Lord reserves the right to punish sin wherever it's found. He may act then. He may act in the immediate destruction of a city or in the condemnation of a sinner at the final judgment. Honestly, if we think about it, only by mercy and the grace of God, any sinner is, permi is permitted to live longer than what he does, myself included, Bill here included yeah, as well. Right. I mean, it's only by the grace of God that we're permitted. So any sin is going to lead to death. Um, you know, in the sake of Achan... God decided to take care of it immediately. Yeah. Um, and in the case of anyone else, sometimes it's not taken care of immediately. Sometimes it's prolonged or, or permitted, not permitted, but it's, it's allowed by God's mercy. He doesn't mm. render the judgment. Right. So, and there's a lot more than just those things. Those are just things that I wrote down when I was working through Joshua. Um, there are some resources and books that you can purchase that will help get a little more into detail. Um, but if we trust that God does everything for a reason then we trust that the conquest, there was a reason why. The reason why that God wanted to lead the people too. He wanted to be the one doing most of the work mm -hmm. because he's the one um, that, that 
is allowed to do it. Yeah. And again, Israel was doing it um, for his purposes, just like God used other nations in the Old Testament to discipline Israel. When yeah. Israel wasn't doing Absolutely. what she was supposed to do, God used the judgment of the Babylonians to take care of Israel. That's what Habakkuk writes about. Habakkuk's yeah. like, Lord, what are you doing? Yeah. This is strange. Why are you using the Babylonians, a horrible, wicked people, to punish Israel, the good people? Habakkuk's like, I don't understand. They have a conversation with God. <laughs> Yeah, well, he considered the Israelites good people, but <laughs> why were they being punished? <laughs> that, that's the truth. That's the truth. Uh, and uh, but you know, God is still merciful even back then. I mean, take oh, yeah. Rahab in Jericho. I mean, she was she was saved. I mean, because she believed. Yeah, and she trusted. Or, or take the whole Gibeonites. The Gibeonites yeah. themselves. They were. I mean, they were spared. Uh, they became part of 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 Israel. I mean. Um, because they recognized the God of Israel was powerful, was yeah. with them, yeah. and provided for them. So, there we and go. I think the Gibeonites don't they show up later on somewhere? Well, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I think they do, I, I was and I'm pretty sure that. they do. Yeah, uh, I was trying to remember. I thought they showed up sometime during Saul, or maybe during the Judges, uh, somewhere in that time. Maybe when we get to studying those those books, if we do that for this year, I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't have my sheet in front of me for the rest of the year, but um, we might talk about that. But it's kind of interesting how God preserved a whole nation. God preserved a person, Rahab and his family. Now it preserved a whole, you Gibeonite. know, whole Gibeonites as well. And again, there were um, what what was designed for the conquest was that God says you're not going to have to build your own cities and towns. You're going to basically push the people out, drive the people out of the land, and you're going to take over what they have. He says, I'm giving it to you as a possession. Okay. So God gave these other nations warning. They mm -hmm. knew that they were coming in. They could have left, you know, they could have done this. And not every, every battle was complete, utter destruction. Yeah. Um, so again, following God's instructions um, during this time was important. I can't imagine living during this time. Mm -hmm. um, how difficult and hard that might have been. And again, remember, they didn't have the Word of God like, like we do today. Mm -hmm. We couldn't look back and say, hey, you know, this or that. I mean, they had the law and they understood it, had the priests and the Levites to help them interpret it and understand it. Yeah. But beyond that, um, there wasn't much. And, and as you go through the rest of the book of Joshua, God starts adding some more things, cities of refuge, some other good things that he's trying to continue to help the nation of Israel. But myself, like you, Bill, I look back on this conquest and see this is God's grace. Yeah. Because, um, you know, these people needed, under God's understanding, they needed to be judged. Yeah. Got to a point, just like God did before the flood. The world got so bad that God says, I need to judge the world. I need to get, get I need to clean house, so to speak. And that's coming again. And it, it's definitely it, it's true. It's coming again. It's coming again for sure. Um, and, and that's why I think that God, uh, uh, after the flood, did, man's life was not lived as long. Yeah. It's slowly, you know, now we get 80, 90, 100 years if we're lucky. Because I feel like what Scripture is telling us, the more we live, the more evil and, and wicked things we can actually come to well, do. Things wax worse and worse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So um, understand as you, as you read through that, I mean, there's a lot more we could talk about that with the morality of the conquest. Um, but just understand that, you know, God does everything for a reason and for a purpose. And, and while we may, we may not understand it, especially because we're so far removed from it, it doesn't mean that we should look at it as, as, as God all of a sudden being this moral monster. 
And there's a reason for it. There always is a reason. And a lot of times we just don't dig deep enough to figure out the reason. We mm-hmm. just say, oh, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so I don't believe it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And if we yeah. took the time to dig a little bit deeper, we could understand some of the things that, mm. that God was requiring or that God did require. And, and let me tell you, if you read the contemporary literature of these Canaanites, these other countries that were around Israel, the land of Canaan at this time, you would be utterly disgusted yeah. with what was happening. And the more you read it, the more you would think, man, Sodom and Gomorrah should have been not destroyed. These other Canaanite places should have been destroyed. Yeah. It was that bad. So again, that's not in yeah. the text like Sodom and Gomorrah was. So we look at it yeah. and we say, oh, what is this? These are innocent people. No, 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 be careful. Mm. If you read some of the contemporary literature, you understand that they were not innocent no. at all. And no man is innocent before God because all men are sinners. And God isn't evil by doing this. Matter of fact, we find in the New Testament and it say God is love. Yeah. He loves us. Yeah. Everything he does is through love, even through destruction. Yeah. It's because he loves. And God's prolonging life for people who have never accepted him. That's love. That's mercy. Absolutely. That's grace. Um, giving them a chance to, to, to come to faith in Christ. Yeah. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. And so next week we'll finish up our study in Joshua. We'll read chapter, I think, 11, 12, and 13. Then we jump on to a few things at the end of the book in chapter 20. Um, and we'll finish out with a study uh, for the rest of the book of Joshua. So that's all for today. Um, we'll see you all when we see you next time. Yeah.